Where has the year gone? Another year slipped by. And this, uh, it's common for me, it's common for most people, I think, to sort of reflect, particularly after the rush of Christmas and you go into the new year and another year comes, to look back at this last year and also look at next year and see, well, okay, how's it going to be different? What have I learned from this year? What didn't I get done this year I'd like to do next year? And, and what happened that I don't want to be repeated next year? And things like that. We all do that sort of reflection. And I wonder if we'll be people who have no regrets at the end of this year. Have we made the most of the opportunities that came our way? Have we been able to see them? Have we had the courage and strength to take them, to engage them? Have we been able to persevere to see what happens? Or the other thing is, I suppose, to just be a bit of a spectator, isn't it, and watch it go by. How will we be? Life will be mixed, won't it? Because all of us have different expectations, different experiences, different opportunities. Uh, some, will, some of these will depend on how old we are. Some will depend on our health and social connections and the circumstances we find ourselves in. The resources we have or don't have, they will all impact what we can do. But for those who follow Jesus, there's exciting and fulfilling opportunities that exist continually to be involved in and see the life of people changing as they accept the message of Jesus, to be amazed and see them filled with boundless joy at this transformation that follows, to see them have peace and hope where there might have been confusion and no direction, even turmoil. It's good to see, it's exciting to see the transformation that Jesus makes in other people's lives. It reminds me of the transformation he made in my own life. And that's great, that's exciting. Well, the book of Colossians is going to tell us about how followers of Jesus are going to be involved in this. First of all, chapter 4, verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That idea of devoting, uh, the devotion of, of being committed always, of being in a prayerful attitude, being keen to pray, doing it constantly. Uh, the idea of constantly talking to God. We need to have a, a view of prayer. What is prayer? Is prayer holding my hands a certain way? Is having my eyes closed? Is it saying certain words? What is prayer? Um, prayer is talking to God. It doesn't have to be done in a formal way. It can be. It should be sometimes. But it doesn't have to be. Uh, please, you shouldn't pray with your eyes closed while you're driving. That's just not a good thing to do. Um, but prayer can happen while we're driving. We can have our eyes open and talk to God. We can talk to God. Anyway, I find it's best not to talk to God aloud if you're having a conversation with someone because they really don't. They find it a bit hard. Unless you're in a prayer group, that's okay to do that. But if you're talking to just someone and start praying aloud to God, they're going to be a bit, what's going on here? You know? Unless they know that's what you're doing. Prayer is something simple and easy. And God wants us to talk to him all the time. He wants us to be constantly bringing our lives before him and submitting them to him and seeking him to work in them, just opening ourselves up to God. That's what happens when we pray. When we don't pray, we close ourselves up. When we pray, we open ourselves up to God and we allow God to work in us and change us. I often find, and I think it's quite usual, when you pray and you pray about things, you might have a problem, you start praying about it and suddenly the problem starts to diminish and in fact sometimes while you're praying a solution comes. But God uses prayer to grow us and change us. We might be praying about something out there, but as we pray, God's doing things in us also. Prayer is a great way of not just communicating with God, but opening ourselves up to God and allowing him to work in us. Sometimes 
we've got to be careful too. I don't know, no, maybe it's me. Um, but sometimes I think, oh, I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what this, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what the solution is. How can I ask God? Duh. I'm suddenly thinking God doesn't know. I was thinking, I've got to have the answers. God knows everything. I don't have to have the answers. Uh, in fact, um, my, probably my best prayer is just uh, saying, uh, God help me. Uh, he knows what I want help with. I don't really have to need to elaborate. But it's sometimes it's good to elaborate it because it opens me more up to God and allows me to allow him to work in me and change my thinking and change the way I look at things. And that's what I find as I start to pray about something specific. I find my attitude can change towards that. But I don't need to if I can't. If I can't, I'm so confused or upset or struggling or, or if things are happening with people, I don't know what's going on. I just need to commit it to God. He knows what's going on. Prayer is powerful that way. And devoting yourselves to prayer is a, is a mark of a follower of Jesus Christ. And it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The idea of watchful, of watchful because you want to see Jesus glorified, you want to see Jesus promoted, you want to see Jesus' kingdom come. Jesus is what you're watching for. And you're watching how you, how you live and how you behave. And thankful. That idea of continually being thankful for what God has done, having the, the joy of being saved, the joy of, of Jesus Christ working in us. I um, heard someone say something a while back that really challenged me. It was one of the big commentators. I read it somewhere. And he said, every day we deserve to go to hell. Oh, hang on. He said, without Jesus, that's where we're going. We're going to hell. There's nothing good in us. We're not good enough. Every day, all we deserve is hell. But God is loving. God is gracious. And God saves us. And God gives us good things. And God forgives us and restores us. And, and I suddenly I think, wow, yes, God does do that. You know, I, I, I see bad things happen. I think, what's God doing to punish me? I think, hang on, I deserve that all the time. Except for Jesus' forgiveness, except for God's love, except for the grace I have in, in Jesus Christ, I deserve that all the time. It's all I deserve. And suddenly I see that life is, life is good because God is good and God is loving, God is generous. And so that's something to be thankful for, to be thankful for, for life just being normal, life being no problems. But most of all, being thankful for God working in us through Jesus Christ and always working in us. He goes on to give an example of um, in chapter 4, verse 12, of someone who's praying continually. Epaphras. Epaphras in chapter 4, verse 12, is the person who brought the message of Jesus to the Colossian church and from whom they then responded uh, to Jesus. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. He's wrestling in prayer. That idea of thinking of individuals and praying for them and praying about whatever you know about them going into their life. And what's he praying for? He's praying they'll stand firm in the will of God, in obeying God, in pleasing God, that they'll be mature, they'll understand for themselves and be fully assured of their being saved. Fully assured that Jesus Christ alone saves them. What a great thing to be doing. Praying for other followers of Jesus. Praying for followers around you. Praying for followers in other places, particularly missionaries or those out in serving in, in difficult areas. Praying for them. 
Let's be people who pray. Let's devote ourselves to prayer. And look at Paul. Where is he? Uh, This next verse tells us where he is, but he doesn't ask for prayer for his situation. Look what verse 3. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. He's in prison. But there's no hint anywhere in Colossians, oh yeah, pray for me as I suffer, pray the guards are about too hard, pray I get enough food, pray this is a short time, pray. Nothing about his difficult, life-threatening situation at all. He's in jail for preaching about Jesus. And what does he ask here? That God will open a door so he can keep preaching about Jesus, keep proclaiming about Jesus. He's irrepressible. He, he just can't stop telling people about Jesus. Why is that? Remember, this is Paul who, who hated Christians, who was having them all locked up in, in Jerusalem, and they all fled. He got letters of authority and chased after them. He chased them through Galilee. They ended up going off to the right and up to Syria, into Damascus. He kept chasing them three miles out of the gates of Damascus with an army of people coming with him to chase, chase, the, Jews, sorry, chase the Christians and drive Christians off the planet of the earth, never to have Jesus Christ mentioned again was his aim. Jesus Christ appears to him. He has a dramatic turnaround. He responds to Christ. He's commissioned by Christ to go out and preach the gospel. Paul knows and is so thankful for and so excited about the transformation that Jesus made in his life. And he wants other people to share in that. And he can't stop talking about it. He can't stop trying to find ways. He's asking people, pray that God will open a door for him. Even he's in prison. Not just open the prison door and let me out, but open a door that I can talk to people about Jesus, even in prison. I wish I was more like that. It's uh, so hard to focus on your own situation and, and sometimes put you know talking about Jesus in the background, but Paul doesn't do that. Maybe we can learn something from that. And prayer recognises that it's a sovereign God who works in people's lives. It's a God who who needs to open the door, open the heart, open the way into a person. Um, Paul understands that um, when a person responds to Jesus, it's because God's working in them. God is convicting them of their sin. God is showing them who Jesus Christ is, that he's he's God-made man, showing them what he did on the cross was to die for their sins, showing he rose again from the dead and there's really hope for the future. It's God working in people. And Paul realises that. Yes, he can use human agents to to speak sometimes, um, but God needs to work. The people respond. And talks about a mystery. What's the mystery here? Well, the mystery is, up to this point, um, that God has been working in the nation of Israel to save the nation of Israel and calling them to follow him. But now, God has extended that to everyone in the whole world, all nations, all people, to respond to Jesus, to hear the message of Jesus and be called to respond to him. God's plan to save anyone and everyone who responds. So Paul's asking for prayer about that. And look what also he says in verse 4 about prayer, what he asks for. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Proclaim the message of Jesus clearly. 
uh, not talk about himself or his difficult situation, uh, not talk about the Anglican Church or any other church organization, but talk about Jesus Christ. You know, he wants to see people introduced to Jesus because Jesus is the one who makes the difference, makes the change. Jesus is the only one that saves, not Paul or not the other apostles or other leaders of the church, but Jesus. And he wants to proclaim Jesus clearly and honestly to people. I wonder if we're that committed in prayer for opportunities to talk about Jesus. We'll look at verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Outsiders, people who, this is just generally talking about people who don't follow Jesus, uh, people who haven't responded to him and don't know how vital he is in their lives. Being wise towards them. The reaction of uh, non-Christians to the way believers um, live is a significant role. And people responding to Jesus. If they see Jesus living in us, they're more likely to respond. Look what it talks about Jesus living in us. In chapter 2, verse 6, it says, continue to live in Christ. And we are continuing to live in Christ. That's our motto, is living lives for Jesus. We're continuing to live in a way that we rely on Jesus. We follow him. We stick close to him. We want to please him and honor him in all that we do. Continue to live in Christ. And chapter 2, verse 20, showing you've died with Christ to the basic principles of the world. Died to, to living for yourself and ignoring God. You've made a change. You're now living to follow Jesus and honour him. Chapter 3, verse 15, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That peace that comes from knowing you're forgiven, knowing you're, you're right with God, and knowing that you have a, a, a brilliant future, you're not facing judgment. That supernatural peace when life around can be going all crazy and turmoil and chaos and you just got a calmness about you because you follow Jesus. You know he loves you. You rely on him. Chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You can't get enough of Jesus. You want to know what he says. You want to respond to what he says. His words are vital and important. You want to be mature. You want to grow in your knowledge and understanding of his words. If we're doing that, people are going to see a difference, but there's more to come. Have you heard the saying? I've heard it amongst uh, teenagers. I'm sorry, if you're a teenager. Um, I, don't, I don't, well, maybe I've heard it amongst some older people. Anyway, I've heard it amongst teenagers say, you know, particularly um, if you're saying something like, um, look, can you not do this? This is going to be no good for you, or it's going to damage this, or whatever. And, and uh, you know, please stop because it's not good. And I'll say, whatever. Hmm? Um, can you please stop doing that? They haven't stopped. Whatever. And whatever is a common term or can be a common term to say, look, whatever you say, but I'm not going to take any notice. Whatever you say, but I'm not going to have responsibility. Whatever I want, I'll do. Uh, that's somehow how it goes. Um, we can look at a couple of whatevers, three whatevers that come now, and she's totally different. Because the whatevers here are where you do take responsibility. You are accountable. You're serious about the way you behave. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. 
Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put to death the old way of living without God in your life. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, that way of, of, of not following God. And there's a whole stack of things listed. They're pretty ugly. It says sexual immorality, sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. It just goes on. Anger, so forth. Stuff that's going to break relationships, destroy relationships, ignore God, challenge God. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature that doesn't have anything to do with God, put to death. Stop doing it. Chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father. Whatever you do, whether it's in words or in actions, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it for Jesus, honouring Jesus, pleasing Jesus, remembering Jesus and giving thanks. Not doing it begrudgingly saying, oh, I've got to go to church. I've got to go to Bible study. I've got to read the Bible. I've got to not get angry here. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Not that sort of attitude, a legalistic sort of approach. But giving thanks, saying, wow. I can go to church, I can meet up with other Christians, I can celebrate with them about Jesus, that's good. I can go to a Bible study and talk about Jesus and learn from him and discuss it with others and pray with him, that's good. And just being happy and rejoicing about pleasing Jesus, about living for him, giving thanks to the Father for all that he's done for us in Jesus. Whatever you do in word or deed, and then verse 23, for those who are workers, it's talking about slaves here, but it really means workers now, today, workers, paid or unpaid workers, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Working at it with all your heart, giving your best and doing it as though you're doing it for God, giving him your best. And it might be something that no one sees of the work you do or the job you do. It might be something that no one's going to see, but you're doing it for God. You're giving him your best. And if someone does see, they're going to say, hang on, how come they're going so hard over there? They're doing such a great job. No one's noticing it. They can get away with just sitting around doing it or doing it a lot less. Why are they doing it like that? And why do they keep doing it like that? And people ask questions about that. And they're interested. They're saying, you know, I, I worked with a group of guys in the police station once and they just gave me a lot of trouble and a candor many years ago before I was married. And they tested me out for three, two years because they knew I was a Christian. They sort of teased me and tried to do things to really, um, yeah, see what I'd do, see how to respond. And uh, things like, I might have told this before, but things like those days we had um, the old phones, the landlines, and they were black. And I, pick, and I had to do the switchboard often. And so the phone would ring. I'd come on duty. The phone would ring. I'd pick it up, put it up my ear, and I'd have black boot polish all over my hand. Or I'd have, a, they put ear on the, uh, sorry, glue on the earpiece, and I'd have an ear full of glue. Things like that. Stupid little things, but really annoying stuff. There was lots of them like that. I came back there as a minister about 10 years later. I met up this detective sergeant who was there, been a constable when I was there. Real tough guy. And he said to me, Wayne, we gave you hell. He said, I actually can't say what he said because he used a few swear words. Uh, but he said, yeah, we gave you hell. And uh, we were testing you out because you said you're a Christian. And we were impressed. And I thought, that's good. And how about you? Do people see you're a Christian? They might test you out. They will test you out. I think they will. They'll test out whether you're a Christian, whether it's skin deep or not, whether you're really serious about it. 
What do people see? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Let's be doing that. Let's be doing these things in such a way, the way we live, the way we put to death our earthly nature, the things we do in word and deed, the whatevers. Let's do them in such a way that Jesus Christ is clearly seen in our life. That we follow him. That we want to honour him. We want to please him. And that we're doing it in a thanksgiving way. We're just really full of the joy of being saved. We're celebrating that we've got Jesus. Let people see that. Look at verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, seasoned with salt stands out to me. It's got to have potatoes, I realise, with this one. Because um, can you eat potatoes without salt? No, I suppose you can. You can mash them, I suppose. But look, I think of, I think of hot potato chips, cold potato chips. I think of baked potato with salt. I mean, I think salt and potato just go together. Um, and it's talking about here when it's in season with salt, it is a tasting, but something that people will notice. Um, you know, you, you have salt in food. Sometimes you have too much salt. Now I've gone way off salt. I used to have a lot of salt, but now I really pick up on salt if I taste it. But salt is something that gives a distinguishing taste. And will people see that our conversation is distinctive in some way? It's supposed to be full of grace. Is it, is it gracious? Is it good and generous and loving? And, and are we careful how we speak in public and in private? Because God's grace works through how we speak and hearers, people who hear us speaking pick it up. And they can, they can want to know, well, what's this person of faith and why are they talking in such a, an in, a different way? And also our speech, when seasoned with salt, can also be important where conversations, we can influence conversations where otherwise they might become crude or debased, ugly in some way. We can maybe put them on a right track by just having a different point of view. Not, now not sort of, I'm not saying here we don't sort of correct people saying, don't say that, that's wrong. No, we don't do that. That's not gracious. We want to sort of show people a better way of doing things. It's a challenge, isn't it? If we're going to live for Jesus, if we're going to follow him and want to please him, then it's going to have to be seen. God wants it to be seen. God wants us to, to show Jesus in such a way that people want to find out about him. And if people want to find out about him, we need to know how to answer everyone. It says in verse 6, how to answer them. I like what 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says. Peter writes about this. He says, set apart Christ as Lord. Lord of your life, your leader, the one you follow, the one you obey, the one you want to please, the one you've centered your life around, set apart Christ in that way. And when you're doing that, he goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope you have. People of hope. People are able to hope even when life is going crazy and falling down around us and everyone's distraught and upset. We can be people who hope because of Jesus. And then we're told by Peter, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do it gently, carefully, lovingly. And Because and we, we don't want to knock people down. We want to encourage people to respond to Jesus. And so we want to respect them, whoever they are. We want to sort of say, you know, life is hard, but Jesus is here. Have a look at Jesus. 
Jesus made such a difference in my life. How are you with your own personal story about Jesus? If someone this Christmas comes to you and sort of says, you know, why do you go to church? Why do you go to carols? Why do you do this? I mean, who was at the carols yesterday at Hannah Park? Yep. People see you that know you? I was sitting over there most of the time over near the, um, the jumping castle because it was pretty busy and just watching what goes on and make sure it right and didn't have to do much because the girls did a great job. But the amount of people came that I suddenly sort of knew, oh, hello, and I got talking to them. Not people who aren't from the church, people from the community, and some people I didn't know that I got talking to. And it was a great opportunity just to connect up with people. And we need to be able to do that. And we need to be able, if they ask us, well, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you giving everything for free? Why are you sitting out here in the, you know, running things for us? Why are you doing that? We need to somehow be able to express it's because of Jesus and what he's done in us. But we don't want to give them a big sermon. You don't want to be there for 20 minutes. You need to be able to say something short and interesting to them about what Jesus has done in your life and why you love Jesus so much and why you want to serve other people. And let's be people who pray for such opportunities. I'd prayed yesterday before I went there um, and I, I had a couple of opportunities. And I've, I've been praying and said, God, give me some opportunities. And he does. He does do that. I don't know where they're going to go. Wait and see. And let's also pray for courage. And let's pray that God will give us the courage and the strength to take those opportunities when they come. And we want, to, we want those opportunities to somehow spotlight Jesus, to show, show people he's our hero, show, show people what he's done. And we're excited about that. And we, we're, we're now changed because we know about Jesus and he'd be really good if you knew him too. And, and so hopefully people want to find out more about Jesus and then we can go on to tell them the gospel. That's why the Christian life is so exciting. That's why the Christian life, as we go into 2019, we're all going to have opportunities, first of all, to live our lives for Jesus, and secondly, for people to notice that and maybe want to find out why. Well, let's be people who pray that that might happen and pray that God will give us the ability to direct them. And look, you, know, you don't have to have a great gospel presentation. I was really encouraged uh, around at the, uh, the tattoos. Who had a tattoo done? Girls doing tattoos are doing great jobs. You get a tattoo? Um, they were, the Bible says they had a track from the Bible Society about Christmas. They were giving out to every child who got a tattoo. And so I sit there reading this thing about Christmas. It was great. And hopefully that, well, you know, kids get that. Hopefully it's gone home to their families and their parents are reading about it. And that's another way to talk about Jesus, not just to verbally talk, but to give them some information on a, on a you know, well-presented booklet with colours and pictures and stuff, which they'll go home and read. Let's be looking for ways to pass on the message of Jesus, not thinking that we've got to sit there and just talk about it. I know at Hawkesbury Show they always have some really good tracks. Peter gets some good tracks to give out. Let's be people who maybe carry around a track with us so that if people want to know about Christmas, know about Jesus, we've got something to give them if we can't be confident enough to talk about it. But let's look for opportunities. And let's not get over you know, the end of the year or even looking back saying yesterday, oh, I had opportunities, I didn't take them. They're out there. We've got lots of opportunities. Let's be people who are prayerful and looking for them. Let me pray. 
God, thank you for the transformation you've made in our lives with Jesus Christ. And help us all to reflect this Christmas once again on how important Jesus is to us, of all that we have in Jesus. Lord, help us to see that without Jesus, we deserve hell. With Jesus, we've got heaven. Oh, Lord, that's so amazing. That's so precious. And Lord, help us to be excited about Jesus, so much excited about him that we want everyone around to know about him in some way. Help us to do that in a, in a respectful, caring, gentle way. Lord, help us to somehow communicate Jesus. And help us, Lord, firstly, to have the determination and strength to live our lives for Jesus, to please him, to honour him in all we say and do, that people will see Jesus Christ living out in us. And Lord, then give us the strength and courage if someone asks us about our hope to be able to talk about Jesus in some way that leads them to want to know more. We pray in your name. Amen.